Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and truths and practices learned from believers in persecution to help you cross the street and cross the oceans with the good news of Jesus. I'm your host, Anthony Ball. And as we say each week, if you have been impacted, if you love, if you've been influenced by this podcast, we encourage you to go uh, to your favorite platform, like and subscribe to Witness and Persecution, and then also leave us a review. That helps us get the word out, helps us encourage people globally in those hundred plus countries that are listening to this podcast to continue uh, to give out these messages, give out these truths from believers in persecution uh, as we uh, attempt to bless uh, the global body of Christ with the voices of those uh, believers in persecution, their stories, and how they're victorious in their faith. And so uh, we have Nick and Ruth in the studio today. How are you both doing? Hanging in there. It's it's really hot here. I, I'm Same really here. good for a young man that's 35 twice. <laughs> Minus about 20 years, right? Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Move on. <laughs> Moving on, moving on. Well, it's so great to have both of you together, and uh, we love when uh, both of you you team up on these uh, episodes uh, because you guys have so much to to give us and so much to provide. But today uh, we we're going to discuss prayer, and there's a lot of things that go into that, especially as we talk about prayer uh, for the persecuted. Uh, that can be very uh, common in our world. There's a lot of things out there about how to pray for the persecuted and, and days and things like that. So we want to spend some time diving into what does it really look like? What is that? What is our prayer life supposed to be? So uh, Nick and Ruth, why don't you kick us off, uh, share with us about what it's supposed to look like for us to to pray for our brothers and sisters and and uh, help us help us see what, what we need to know today. I think I want to go from the funny uh, to the absolutely terrifying type of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what other families do, but it's really cool to do this with our grandsons that have moved close to us, and, and we keep one uh, every day. We keep the youngest, who's 19 months, every day, and he's asleep right now, and that's why we're doing the podcast. That's why I'm talking so fast. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, we we don't... we. We never taught our boys to pray. We just prayed. And then we would say to, all right, it's your turn. And it's your turn. And it's your turn. And the boys and their mother and I would take t- turns around the table praying. And, and, and our oldest grandson, the first time that he prayed, we both wept. And we've wept a lot since. That boy knows how to touch the heart of Jesus. And, mm. and our, our 19 year old is just beginning to 19 form. Months. 19 months is just beginning to form words. And, and, and he, he, of course he can't pray, but he knows how to hold our hands and be still. And then that had been pretty, pretty amazing. And so we were up in Malawi. So it was early in our career. It was within the second year at, at, at most. And, and I remember sitting around a, a long table that someone had made for us. We, we, we didn't take any furniture with us. Uh, they would make you stuff out of the most beautiful wood in the world that no one could afford in, in America. And, and, and all of a sudden our, our middle son who tended to be the, the spiritual, 
uh, one, the, the one that died when he was 16. And, and he, he just prayed a simple prayer of two or three sentences. And, and, and then all of a sudden he prayed those same two or three sentences again. Exactly. Hmm. And then when he said in Jesus name or something like that, oh man, he looked up and he said, I prayed a double prayer. And we all <laughs> laughed and we all got into it. And, and we thought it was really cute until he started doing it on purpose. Oh no. Every time. And so dad had, dad had to say no more, no more because you're not praying anymore. Uh, you're playing with prayer and you're not going to do that. And we killed mm. it and we killed it. And, and maybe a year or so later, uh, we flew, they flew us to South Africa probably for medical stuff. And we drove a new vehicle for our mission from South Africa all the way to Malawi. What countries were that? Oh, Zimbabwe and parts of Zambia. Zambia. So, wow. And, and there's no rest stops or, you know, <laughs> right. It's a real trip. Real and, country. And independence uh, had come to Zimbabwe. And now the two major factions were, uh, uh, tribes were virtually, no, they were really in civil war. But things had quieted down, and this is a long drive. I mean, you take 100% of what you need with you, extra tires, extra anything that, that you might need. And, and it, it's just uh, often you might have a tar road, but mostly it's just going to be packed dirt so you don't do it in a rainy season. And so all of a sudden we came around a bunch of, uh, you know, almost like a jungle, like a bunch of trees, and we pulled right into a riot. Oh, no. Out in the middle of nowhere. And it was bad. It was bad. And and I, I told uh my wife, get the kids down. And and uh I I just began just to say, help help us, Jesus, help us, Jesus, help us, Jesus. And I kept saying that, and we just passed through like the Israelites did through the Red Sea, and we got through that. And my heart was, you know, pounding in my chest as it was with my wife. And our middle son said, Daddy, you prayed a double prayer. We're not supposed to do that. Well, I didn't take time to explain the difference to him because I was so grateful to get out of that. But but uh, <laughs> it wasn't really a double prayer. It was a quadruple one multiple, <laughs> multiple times over, but it was out loud. <laughs> But I think that's where I want to go from here, Anthony. I want to talk about what are we going to do as we think about believers in persecution, those people who we um, we think about every so often or somebody reminds us of something or we read something on the news. Um, mm. When we share in churches, often at the end of the time, or as I'm with a women's group, I'll say, do you have any questions? And one of the questions that is almost always asked is, if you are telling us we should partner with believers in persecution, what should we do? What are those things we can do to help right. them? And um, I mean, I mean, you know, we 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 think of many things, but I have shared before that the persecuted church, believers in persecution, remind us constantly that they are as vital to us as the person who sits next to us on the pew on Sunday, 
Hmm. or is in our small group or in our Bible study group. They are the people that are vital to us because um, they're like the inside of our, our body, our organs that we don't see every day, but they are keeping our heart beating, our blood flowing. They are part of our body. So what can we do to partner with them? They're probably 90% of the growth of the church. <laughs> And, and Nick wow. has already reminded us, and I'll, I'll repeat this in previous po uh, podcast, that we must partner with them automatically through prayer. But the really vital thing that they ask of us is that we come to Christ and we witness. And so hmm. as we walk through these next, and I'm going to give you 11 things, ways that you can pray for believers in persecution you probably won't want to do all of these every day, but as you hear about believers who are struggling or you hear of a country or a situation on the news, automatically one of these should come to the forefront of your mind as you think about how can I lift up my brothers and sisters who are vital to me? And something I will say, and I'll say it again, every time we get together is believers in persecution are praying for us mm. as they're praying for us. How dependable are we to pray for them? So automatically the first thing that probably pops in our mind when we think about believers in persecution is their safety. But I promise you by the time we get to the 11th item on this list, we're going to move the safety one all the way to the bottom. Because believers in persecution remind us over and over, it's not about their safety. It's about their obedience. And that's what they want us to pray for. But as we think about their safety, um, we, we realize that for many believers today, they're in prisons. Uh, a whole group of believers are in shipping containers sitting in on the, on the coastline where it's very hot. They're being tortured as women they're, who have come to faith. Their families are locking them in their bedroom or in a closet in their home, just trying to keep them isolated. They're, just, they're slapping, they're hitting their women who, whose husbands are abusing them. So these are all things that we can pray uh, for their safety. We can pray for the, the healings. We can ask God to support them and comfort them. So that's the first one. The second one, um, we don't know their names. Very rarely are we allowed uh, even to know where they are. We have to kind of guess what their location is. People ask me all the time, how often do you talk to people that you've interviewed? But they're such a, a moving target. And I don't really like that phrase for them, but they're, they're so fluid. And there's no secure way to stay in close contact with them. Right. I, I, even though I don't know their name, I have to know that the, I serve a God who knows their name. And so as I pray for them, I want to feel, I want them to feel God surrounding them. My prayer for them is that God will be right there next to them and they will feel his presence and especially he will wipe away any fears that they may have. He will comfort them. He will give them strength. 
He will give them boldness in the situation that they're in. So first of all, we're going to baby pray for their safety. We're going to pray that they will feel the presence of God. The third one is that the persecutors want the believer to know, to feel alone and isolated. They want them to feel like there's no one who cares. And so what we want to do is to pray that they will feel that we are praying for them, that they are not forgotten. And I think that's something that's so exciting that when I pray for my brothers and sisters in persecution, I can trust that God will help them know that they're not forgotten. You know, I, uh, I may have mentioned, but in Russia, years past when the Soviet Union was falling, and in China, I was in two deacons meeting. They let me sit in on it. And in both places on the, on the agenda was when they were arrested and went to prison, not if, when, which other deacon they wanted to be in the cell with them. Because they know the worst thing, worst thing that happens if you go by yourself. And in both meetings, Anthony, there was a deacon in Russia and China that was furious because no one wanted to go to prison with them. Hmm. I don't know if they had bad breath or snored, but they, 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 they were so upset because no one would choose them to be in prison with. Can you imagine putting that on the agenda? No, I can't actually. No. <laughs> wow. But I think the persecutors want the believer to feel depressed, to feel lonely, to feel um, that there is nobody around them that cares. And so I take this as a great privilege and responsibility that I am praying for them, that they will know God's presence and they will know that there are people on the other side of the globe or even in their, in their country, their location, who are praying for them. So that's the third one. The fourth one, um, I want to pray sort of as what I suggested in number one, that they will be obedient through their suffering. So many of the believers that we talked to said, don't pray that we, we are freed from this situation. Pray that we will be obedient because it's in that obedience that we felt so close to God. And so I want to pray that they will be obedient through the situation, not to be released from the situation, because I want them to feel the strength and the power that comes from being obedient. Um, this is probably one I have to work on because it's so easy for us to hear God tell us to do something, but we fail to really do it. We fail to be obedient. Um, they feel close to God when they are being obedient. And the fifth one, I want to ask that they will supernaturally be able to love their persecutor. Um, scripturally, we are commanded. I mean, Jesus did it in the Beatitudes, love your enemies. He mm. said, you know, I, I, it's easy to love those who love you, but it's hard to love those who persecute you. And so when they, when our brothers and sisters feel so weak and so mm. abused and so neglected, 
it would be really easy for them to become angry, uh, despondent. But what our responsibility as their brothers and sisters is to pray for them that they can learn to love their persecutor. Um, this is where the double prayer must come in. We must be praying double and triple and quadruple prayers that they will learn to love their persecutor. I know that I've mentioned it before, but I've interviewed at least five sets of security policemen. We're talking about from the KGB and the PSB in China. And, and, and these are ones who came to Christ by being loved by Christians they were torturing mm. and asking, how can we pray for your wife? How can we pray for your baby that is sick? Can we send uh, someone uh, to help you? And and now you talk about someone that's on the run. When the security policemen come to Christ, they really have uh, 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 people after them. But at least five sets of security policemen that I've met and interviewed came to Christ by torturing Christians who love them in turn. Wow. So then as I turn that one on myself, um, how about the guy that pulled in front of me today on the highway or mm -hmm. the cashier that was rude to me or the person that kind of in the grocery store knocked me you know, out of my routine of where I was going? How am I relating to those who aren't persecuting me but are offending me? And so I must... Mm -hmm. Um, think about that one. But you know, aggravation doesn't have that much reward. <laughs> but if you're, if, if you're witnessing to folks and, 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 and you get uh, hatred back, you know the source of that. And you know that the love that you showed them, the smile that you had on your face, they're going to take it to bed that night. And linked right. to the one that we just did of of praying for your for them to love their enemies, their persecutors. Believers have shared uh, many times that the best way to stop their persecution is to bring their persecutors to Christ. Mm. And so that is my next prayer. I am going to pray that whole movements of the, for the kingdom of God will happen in these countries, these places, these people groups as the persecutors are being brought to Christ and we will see a mighty movement of God. Pray that the believers will boldly share the gospel. Um, one of the things I've prayed the whole last year was that God would give um, believers in persecution a vision for a plan of how to share their faith. And mm -hmm. I've often kind of neglected that prayer because I'm thinking, you know, they're in prison, they're locked in their rooms, all these things. How can they have a plan? But that's what they want. They want us to pray that God will give them a strategy, a boldness, mm. a way to do what they're doing um, so that mighty movements of God mm. can happen. And so my next prayer is that God will give them a strategic plan of how to do a ministry. Um, mm. that they're not just sitting in the prison. I mean, how many times has Nick shared how movements are, are spreading through prisons in China? 
How many times can we see there was a there's a strategic plan? And I think about Paul and Silas in prison and at midnight, they're singing praises to God. They had a strategy. Paul, Paul just reminds us over and over how even in the darkest prison cells, God can be doing something. Oftentimes, it's um, young single men and young single women who come to Christ in Islam. And that's partly our fault. Not that they came to Christ, but we're not sowing the gospel uh, in families. And, 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 and they will do what I call compulsive fleeing. Because to be a Somali is to be a Muslim. To be a Saudi is to be a Muslim. And so when they, when they come to Christ, they, they, they'll lose their jobs. They'll, they'll lose their family dwelling. They could lose their kids. They could lose everything. But a lot of times they just take off for the nearest Christian country. They just take off. Hmm. And see what you've got in the New Testament, whether they were free in Christ out of prison or free in Christ in prison, what their desire was in the house of Cornelius or in that prison cell was to plant a church, was to bring people to Christ. And the moment, the moment, please people, chew on this, pray on this, the moment that baptism takes place within a family grouping, the body of Christ has been planted at the moment of baptism. You miss that when you get down to 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 generations of Christianity. But, but we just, just what Ruth is saying here is, is so important. Uh, you, you, you don't want a survival mode. You, you, you want to, you want to see a harvest for your family and for your people. And especially in Islam, it's so hard because they can't conceive that I can be a Somali follower of Jesus. Mm. And, and I can go on and on with it, but let's make sure we do stay focused. It's hard, <laughs> hard for me at times. But I think, I think as we pray for them, um, realizing that we don't want them to become paralyzed in the persecution. We want them to become vibrant, bold witnesses that are multiplying across their, their nation, their people group, and spreading into the next people group. The next one is something that I've... I've what number are we on? We're on number seven, and I'll, I'll go back and repeat in case somebody is taking notes. Um, but the next one has to do with God's word. We know that God's word is active. It's a two-edged sword. But when you're in prison or you're being held in your home, um, you know, you don't have God's word often. And so let's pray that God will bring stories, verses, encouraging things from his word into their hearts in these situations so that his word will be active in their life. Pray that God will stir up songs that they've heard um, before or begin writing their own songs of praise and glory to God so that he can be glorified by them in these situations. As believers, we should be praying God's word over these brothers and sisters. And so as you're reading God's word and a verse comes to mind, 
and you've heard that there is a believer who's being persecuted, pray that verse for them and ask God to give his word into their hearts. If they can read and they do have scripture, pray that God will take them even deeper into his word. Mm. There were there were uh, eight believers in in prison in a Middle Eastern country, and all eight of these believers asked that we would pray that God would give them his word, that, that he would take them deeper. And so that's where I want to pray that God's word will become so real in their lives that they will hear him singing over them, that he, they will hear him quoting verses, the Holy Spirit just giving them those verses that will encourage them through their persecution. So that was number seven. Number eight, I, I, I think this is one that's good for us to pray for ourselves. Ask that fear will not control them but that the desire to see people come to Christ will be a constant control. We know Nick shared this often that fear is Satan's number one tool. So we want to pray against that in their lives. So that's number eight. Number nine, um, this is the one that that um, when Nick and I began doing the, the travel and the interviews and talking with believers, it was so it became such a, a reality check for me. Pray that they will glorify God, that every day they will sense that God is, um, is being glorified in their lives. Um, Nick and I both try nightly to review our day and say, God, did we glorify you today? So for each of these believers, pray that they will feel at the end of the day they have glorified God, whether they are in prison or wherever they are. Um, we, we've heard just recently of a man who was released after 15 years in prison. Um, and wow. what they said was his faith has, as he's come out, he is stronger than it was when he went in. And he is so filled with joy. That's what, that's the kind of faith I want I, that even after 15 years, I can be glorifying God and be filled with joy. I interviewed the, the leader of a movement in Eastern Europe and he told me stories just like this, but he got right up in my chest and put his finger or his hand over my heart. And he said, don't you dare go back to America and make persecution fun. Mm. and make it easy. He says, God gives the victory, but you spend 10 years without your family or you spend all of these months with your face down in a toilet when they sit on your shoulders and force you into that. So we're not, we're not just, we're not spiritualizing this. This is a fight. This is between mm -hmm. Satan and powers of evil. And we want to make sure that there is not, there's not a neutral country. We're not Sweden. Or Switzerland, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not. There's not a neutral country in, in this spiritual warfare, and so while what Ruth is saying is exactly what they say coming out, that guy lost ten years with his family, but thank God he stayed faithful. But he he's going to have to have the body of Christ give him the time to walk through those ten years and get all that out out of him. Otherwise, it won't be as much a cancer 
But it, it, but again, when they come out of prison and they come out of persecution, the one thing they want is just let you, let them tell you their story and get all that stuff out. But I think, Nick, that that jumps us right into the next one. This is number um, number ten, and number ten is um, that God will burden us to realize that we are to carry them when they can't carry themselves, and right. that God will wake us in the night and pray for the persecuted church, for believers in persecution, for. Um, People that we will never meet, but are we willing to pray? And will we remember to pray? Um, I, I don't know about you, but we have p- kind of set things. We thank God for the day and all this. Can we put right there, God, thank you for our brothers and sisters in persecution. I want to care- help carry them today. And th- the thing <clears throat> that I started with, they are praying for us. And are we willing to pray for them to the same extent we want them to pray for us when it becomes our turn, when we are suffering, Mm -hmm. um, they're remembering us. So that's number 10. And then number 11, and I'll repeat them all then, um, for both us and them, let's maintain an eternal mindset. Are we focused so much on today that we forget that we're already dead, that we're living an eternal lifestyle and our eternity is ours and we must move forward. And for believers in persecution, I want to pray this for them, that they can focus on the resurrection, on the eternity Mm. that's promised them. And that they will bring as many, many people with them. And I pray that for myself as well. Mm. So let me repeat them. And that way, you'll if you're writing them down, you'll have them for yourself. Um, if you have trouble writing them down, you can email us and we'll send it to you. But the first one that now we're going to move to the end is for their safety. The second one is that... Um, that in the midst of suffering, they will know God's presence. The Mm -hmm. third one, that uh, that these believers will not feel alone and isolated, but they will remember that someone is praying for them and that God will comfort them. The fourth one, pray that they will be obedient through their suffering. The fifth one, Pray that supernaturally they will be able to love their persecutors. The sixth one, that they will win many to the kingdom of God and be bold in their witness. The seventh, ask for a deeper uh, understanding of God's word, of his, of songs and of um, scripture stories. Eight, ask that they will not be fearful. Nine, pray that they will glorify Christ every day in every situation. Pray that we will be faithful to remember them. And 11, ask that we will all have an eternal mindset. 
You know, we um, started by talking about our middle son giving up that double prayer at the table <laughs> and then making uh, something holy and deep into something light and funny. And, and, and yet he caught me out, but he, he recognized the difference in, in his father just crying out over and over again, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. Because I really, it could have gone very quickly that uh, our third son had not been born by that time, but that Ruth and I and our two sons that went over with us, that, that, that could have ended really, really bad. And so sometimes, like right now for Pakistan, especially for the historical Christian church, they are burning their houses by the hundreds, if not more, and their churches. It is, it is at a, it, it is tender, dry, and it is one of the biggest issues in the religious world right now. And I doubt if 99% of the Western church is aware of it. And we need for us to be students, you know, of, of the world and, and sometimes just get on our face before God and just pray over and over again that they be reunited with their family or pray over and over again that you would send someone to be with them in prison uh, and, and, and do a double and a triple and a quadruple prayer. And I may have mentioned earlier, but birthdays and special days in my family weren't much. For Christmas, we got a piece of fruit. We got a little baggie of candy, and we got a piece of clothes. Oftentimes, I got a, a ball of string, and I would follow that ball, ball of string out of the house, down to the barn, and it would be tied around the neck of a baby pig or a baby calf, and I got to raise that calf as my Christmas gift, and then the family would eat it when it grew up. But that's just the way that, you know, I had the joy of raising that, but it's just my giving uh, uh, to my family. But now that I married into Ruth's family and others, my goodness, some of these events are huge. And what I've learned is that the Christmases and the birthdays that I grew up with, never doubting the love of my parents, but I never felt that they represented that special birthday or that Christmas represent all the other days of the year that my parents prayed for me, worried over me, expressed love for me, and and that just coalesced into that one special day to to, to codify what they were always doing. And I am I'm deeply concerned, Anthony, if we if we encapsulate our relationship with believers in persecution into a day of prayer or a week of prayer, and then we're done for the year. Right. I love a song that they used to sing for us every time we went to church in Florida. And uh, I don't want to cry, but it's it's an old, uh, it's not a hymn, but it's a, what would you call it? A chorus. A chorus, but it just starts out, he knows my name. Mm. And he knows, oh, yeah. and I, I just sit there and weep. But, but there are ways as if we are obedient to the Great Commission 
to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The church is going to know the settings and the names of the brothers and sisters in persecution. The reason we don't have the details is because we don't go. Mm. I'm not asking people to do more research, uh, to go to the websites of Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors or Middle East Concern or even uh, to nickcripkin.com. What we're asking people is to engage their neighbors in witness and, and, and let that be the jumping off place to the ends of the earth. Uh, wow. and, and we would know their names and we would know their situations and, and we would, we would know, uh, 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 their down settings and their risings up. And, but we don't because the Great Commission, uh, is trying to be filled by 2% of the church. Mm. Wow. But let's not make that the focus, but, how can we truly enter into a relationship with our brothers and sisters uh, if we don't know who they are? And in Islam, right. you know what they say to Ruth and I? That when Muslims have dreams and visions and they don't know who to go talk to about that, they dreamed about the Bible, Jesus appeared to them. They heard a voice without a body saying, find Jesus, find the good news. They, they don't know. There's no one safe to talk to. So they'll go to a random military person from the West, a businessman from the West, or they'll come to Ruth and I. And, and believers in persecution in Islam said, for every one type of spiritual conversation like that, you and Ruth can have 150. Mm. They'll say, no, you're not going to beat them. You're not going to turn them in. Uh, you're, you're not going to uh, uh, you know, talk to the authorities about them. Uh, and, and if you happen to be a believer, then they're off and running because you're going to be able to bring them to Christ or bring them to someone who can bring them to Christ and baptize them and gather their family together. Uh, we can't adequately pray in relationship with believers in persecution if we don't know any. Wow. Or if wow, we not great. want, or if we're not one. Mm. And what does, I grew up with that old radio and answer. Nobody that listens to this podcast will know Paul Harvey. By the time he finished this old oh, yeah. long country story that was just wonderful to listen to, and he'd just say, and that's the rest of the story. <laughs> then somebody would come on the radio selling flour or something. <laughs> oh, I'm familiar with that. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you know Paul, Paul Harvey. <laughs> I may be older than you think, I guess. <laughs> wow. I, I love that. Uh, I want to ask something, maybe off the cuff. Um, I'm not sure who to ask. I'd probably ask Ruth because we, I think we've all agreed that you're the more spiritual one. But uh, as we kind of close out, we want our listeners to think about uh, like Nick said, it's not just a, a day or a week, but it's an ongoing conversation relationship with believers in persecution around the world. Uh, could you, we've talked about the 11 ways that we can do that. And, and you mentioned, you know, may, people may want, want to pick out one or two or a handful, or they may write the list and maybe go through one a day or something. And just kind of uh, building that culture of a prayer life for believers in persecution on a regular basis. Uh, would Could you, Maybe give us a, a model. I hesitate to use the phrase model prayer, but 
could you maybe give us an example of uh, when you sit down and you pray for believers of persecution on a regular basis, um, how how do you do that? Just what, practically speaking, if you wake up in the morning and you pray for believers of persecution, what what does that look like? Let me um, su- let me suggest something. Let me make a comment, your- and then let's just let Ruth end this podcast with prayer. I love it. That's exactly what we need. What did Ruth say at the beginning? You know, we always say there's no such thing as a free church and a persecuted church. It's just the church. And Ruth said, mm-hmm. you know, like you and I and those who watch this on on uh, YouTube, you know, they see you see your skin and your face and your ears and your nose and, you know, the outside parts of your body where they feel that they are the internal organs, you know, your heart, your liver, your lungs and everything that really make the body live. So in actuality, biblically, spiritually, in reality, when I pray for the persecuted, I'm praying for my body. Mm. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for our church. I'm praying for believers because my heart is in my chest. And, and and as the Bible says, if we we don't do this, then we have no part of who he is. Wow. So let's just let Ruth uh, pray and then say what you need to say in conclusion. Is that okay? I love it. Ruth, go ahead. Take it away. Jesus, we are so mindful today that Um, you have given us the greatest, greatest part of the world by allowing us to know our brothers and sisters who are living in places where it's so difficult Mm. to stay faithful, to stay strong, to stay bold. But today, Lord, I pray, we pray for them as they are in their situations that may be so hard and so difficult. God, I ask that you will comfort them. I ask that you will allow them to hear you speaking into their hearts, into their lives. Allow our prayers to be audible in their ears so they will know that they are not forgotten, that they are loved. Father, you know their names, so sing over them today. Mm. Allow them Mm. to hear your praises being sung in their lives. Allow them to write songs that strengthen them and that give them um, a witness opportunity, even in the places where they are being held. Father, I pray that you will bring many, many people to Christ through their witness so that there will be a body that can carry each other, that can support each other, that can strengthen each other. Allow them to have their whole family come to Christ so that churches can be planted in their homes. Father, we pray for their persecutors. And we ask that you will... um, Bring them to faith through the witness of these brothers and sisters who are living out your story in front of them. Father, we think of those who are uh, bruised and battered and hurting today. And God, I, 
if if my heart is hurting, I should feel the pain. And so I ask that you will allow me right now to feel that pain and to bear it with them. Father, carry them. Just as Simon carried your cross, Lord, send them someone who can carry them. Father, we know that for many who are in prison, they don't have um, meals that are provided and blankets that are provided. And so, Lord, allow the church that is in that location to take the responsibility to care for the brothers and the sisters who are being persecuted. And Father, I pray that even today, you will bring to mind over and over as we go about our daily lives, you will bring to mind our brothers and sisters, and we'll be able to celebrate a, a time of remembering, mm. even as we're going about our daily jobs and our daily um, tasks. And so, Lord, um, we give you praise. Um we shouldn't even want to say amen in this prayer because we don't want to stop. And so, Lord, we'll just say we're going to put a pause. And as you need us to continue to lift up our brothers and sisters, we will do so. And we will be obedient and we will be known that at night as we close our eyes, we have glorified you as we've lifted up our brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. This has been Witness and Persecution with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, and we'll be with you next time.